American songwriter, we had the opportunity to talk to Kojak over Zoom video. Kojak was born and raised in Dublin, Ireland, so he tells us about that and how he got into music. He talks to us about putting out his very first songs and how a music video for one of those early songs went viral and kind of put him on the map. This music video is, is mind-blowing. He holds his breath for three minutes. He built like this box. He went underwater, held his breath for three minutes. He talks about how he learned how to hold his breath for three minutes, which is a fascinating story in itself. Uh, but he tells us all about that video and how it really drew some attention to him. Uh, he talks about his first concept record called Delhi Daydreams, the highlights of his second album, Green Diesel, and all about his brand new record, Town's Dead. You can watch our interview with Kojak on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be great if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're Bringing It Backwards with Kojak. So this podcast is all about you and your journey in music and how you got to where you are now. We'll talk about the new record you have uh, coming out in a few or a week or so. Yeah, two weeks off. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Is my sound quality and everything okay? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You sound great. Perfect. Cool, cool. Making sure uh, you look like you have such a professional setup. So. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, I did read uh, you're from you're from uh, from Dublin. Is that right? Correct. Okay, born and raised there. Yeah, born and raised there. Yeah, lived there all my life. What's that like? Uh, I often describe Dublin as like being in a bad relationship. You know what I mean, it's like, <laughs> uh, it's like you really love that person, but they treat you bad all the time. <laughs> Why is that? You know, there's just like a lot of issues there, especially as like a young creative in terms of like the housing crisis that we have at the minute and the rental crisis and just even the erasure of cultural space and clubs and nightclubs and that sort of thing. The city, because of the current government, I suppose is kind of like kind of becoming very much a tourist destination. Oh, sure. A lot of people are being priced out, like myself included. It's it's very like it, it would be very common in Dublin if you're in your 30s, even up to 40s with a well-paid job that you still live with your parents. So that's kind really. Of, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So the, the housing market is just like that expensive housing market and the renting market like Dublin is uh, one of the most expensive cities to live in Europe. It's more expensive to live there than Milan, I believe. And if you've ever really? been to Dublin compared to Milan, Dublin does not look like Milan, my friend. <laughs> wow. Do you know why that is? Just because the they made it a tourist destination? Uh, neoliberal kind of politics, I suppose, and um, yeah. incentivizing low tax rates for big corporate companies and, and kind of just like very short-sighted uh, development plans and stuff, you know? Wow. I yeah. didn't even realize that. That's, ugh, that's, that's unfortunate. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a strange place. So it's very much, and I think a lot of people would feel that from living in Dublin. It's kind of a love-hate relationship. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a toxic relationship, as you said. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, how did you get into music? My mom would have put me into music since like a very young age. So I think she read somewhere that um, boys tend to concentrate 
better if they're in music in a young age. Really? Yeah. And uh, tend to be able to like focus on tasks better. And she had four boys. So she was like, put these kids into music. <laughs> sure. Know what I mean? Yeah. Your other siblings, are they artists or musicians? All musicians, yeah. Wow. Yeah. They work, uh, you know, with their jobs, like one's a chef, one's a piano teacher, one's, you know, working in restaurant business and stuff. But uh, yeah, we're all, all in music. All like very, they're all like a lot better at music than I am, which is funny. They're, really? <laughs> yeah, they can all just kind of pick up anything. I was kind of like, just uh, I was a shit as a kid. So <laughs> I did the basics and then I kicked and screamed and got out of a lot of my... Um, you know, early piano lessons and stuff, but I'm going back and learning it now. That's good. That's good. So did all uh, you and your brothers all take piano? Yeah, I was the only one that got out of it. So they're all very good at piano. I'm still learning. My older brother's a piano teacher. So you actually, he actually gives me lessons. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Yeah. You were like the fucking Brady Bunch, man. <laughs> That's amazing. So do you, what do you go over his house and learn piano? Yeah, yeah, or we do it by Zoom now. Really? How often yeah. are you taking lessons from him? Uh, once a week, but really? I'm in a week or two, so don't tell. <laughs> That's crazy. That's amazing, though. Um, so are you the youngest of, of your four brothers? There's one below me and two above. Okay, okay. And how did you get out of it then? I would assume that the youngest would be able to get out of the piano lessons. Um... I can't remember if he actually, you know what? I think he managed to get out of it too. I said a bad, a bad trend. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. So I've just like, I've played everything, you know, I start kind of like started with piano and then I didn't really like that, but uh, got into drums after that. And I was really into that. Mm -hmm. and, and so I play a bit of everything. Okay. So drums is the next instrument. Yeah. And then just like from there, got a like cracked version of Ableton and started producing. And that became like a lot more interesting because you could just, you know, sample stuff if you weren't good enough to play it, or you could just, you know, you had all those synths and stuff. So mm -hmm. I got really into that and kind of really into production. How, how old are you when you got the cracked Ableton? I think I was 16 or 17. Okay. So I just would have taught myself how to use it from like YouTube and stuff. What about uh, the rapping? How, how early on were you doing that? It came about the same time because I was uh, starting off and I wasn't very good. So I didn't really want to ask anybody for beats. I was like, not good enough to be <laughs> asking people or showing. Oh, interesting. So I started producing myself and then, you know, just stick at it and you get better at it and stuff. So, yeah, I was fucking trash when I started. <laughs> Were you, uh, did you ever go out and perform to people or was it all kind of in the in the bedroom thing? A lot of it was just to myself one or two friends on my show you know and it wasn't until I was probably about 20 I think that I actually ever played a gig kind of as um you know hip-hop artist like so it was probably the first one when did you start Kojak was that or that where you are were you always going by that no that was like uh I I geez I started kind of writing rap and stuff when I was probably 16 or 17 mm -hmm. I didn't have a name for it for a while because I didn't really I hadn't written anything that I thought was actually good enough to show anybody and then when I was kind of like 20 I'd say 
I started getting better and I was like, you know what, this is actually all right. And I showed a couple of friends and they were real encouraging. They were like, man, you should really do this. So I just came up with a name and then I think probably Midnight Flower is like the first song that I would have dropped that was like, uh, you know, full rap song with the name and the YouTube channel and the fucking avatar and everything. So that was kind of like trying to launch the career, if you know what I mean. Okay. Wow. And, and that was when you were about 20 or so? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, prior to that, like, did you go to school for music? I, I think you went, didn't you go for fine arts? You're also an artist and a film director. You got a lot going on as far as artistic abilities. Yeah. I went to college to do fine art because I kind of just didn't see myself working a normal job basically. And I like to draw. So I was kind of like, yeah, I could do this. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, um, a really sick experience. I like a lot of times it's kind of like I should just drop out and do music like off. Really? Yeah. But um, I don't know. It kind of like I pushed through it anyway. And I'm very glad I did because I kind of got into filmmaking towards the end of my degree. Kind of made a degree show film um, at the end of it. And that just kind of like sparked my love for cinema again because I used to be into it when I was a kid. I used to make a lot of like YouTube videos, had an old like YouTube account and everything, but I kind of just left it go once I got into like secondary school or I suppose mm-hmm. America, you call it like high school or whatever. But mm-hmm. yeah, just uh, got very, um, what would you say? I got a bit more embarrassed about it then, but I got, yeah, a lot more interested in it then after that. Okay. And I did, cause I did see that you just, I mean, directed a, a recently a music video. And is that something that you were, were kind of pursuing always with, with music as well? Yeah, a lot of the artists that I really love, you know, I got into them through sick music videos, you know, and like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like Tyler, the creator and um, like a lot of Reggie Snow's early music videos I really liked. And it was just that thing where um, if I wanted it, like I've, I was independent for years and I was kind of, I didn't want to, what would you say? I didn't want the music videos to 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 reflect that, you know, like to, I didn't want them to look like they had a small team working on them. I wanted them to be really big and kind of like ambitious and stuff. And so kind of like took that on out of necessity because I didn't have any money at the time. And I didn't know anybody really that directed except for one of my friends, Sam McGrath, mm-hmm. and he was getting into videos at the same time. So we kind of worked together a lot and we've probably made about six or seven together. Wow. At this stage. And, uh, he really took to it. Like he was um, really interested in it, but he was only getting into it. I think Bubby's Cream was the f- first music video we did together. That was like, no budget. I was on the doll at the time, which is like, what would you call it? Yeah. Money for nego- unemployment payment. Oh, okay. I had like just out of college on the doll, had absolutely no money. And so we just storyboarded this video out and shot it in like the Tesco car park, which is just a supermarket up from where I lived. Oh, really? Yeah, at night, like pitch black, you know what I mean? Because they left the lights on in the car park, and I just thought it looked real sick. I was like, oh, that's cool. And they had this old little, like, public laundromat that you could go and, like, wash your clothes there and stuff. And so kind of based the whole music video around that. And that was the first one that we did together. And then went on to do amazing stuff. He's um, he's a real accomplished director now at the minute. So Wow. That's incredible. Um, well, after you released that first song, like what was there a moment 
that you like realize like, oh, this is actually really good enough to to put out. Like, what do you remember? Like having that courage to release the the first song. Um, <clears throat> I think I had recorded like one or two songs, and my brother had helped me like record the vocals and stuff. And I showed them to a couple of people, and there was one tune in particular that people were like, yeah, yeah, this one's this one's really good. And uh, Midnight Flower kind of accompanied that. And I had this idea for a music video where I'd like, basically kind of like a performance piece where it was like, you know, if you could hold your breath underwater for the entire music video, no cuts. Um, I was like, that would be sick. And so I built, I built the tank in college. It's like a Perspex. Um, it's nearly like a fish tank, but like a Perspex box that I filled up with water, like, in my bedroom and just oh my gosh practice for a couple of weeks and try to help hold my breath and shit and then um <laughs> how long do you have to hold your breath for that must have been like a couple of minutes like three and a half minutes i think oh my gosh yeah and then i passed out and uh we only did one take of it and i was like yeah that looks good and so uploaded that it was intense. And then, um, yeah, that kind of took off. And I was like, cool, this is sick. But then it was still kind of like, I don't know, I was so early in making the music and stuff. I still wasn't actually that confident in it. And so it did take a couple of years of still recording and, and kind of producing and just finding my feet a bit more before I actually was like, yeah, you know what, this could be a career here, you know? Yeah, well, hold on. So three minutes underwater, like, how, were you a swimmer before, prior to this? Like, how did you even become able to, to hold your breath for that long? Like, how do you even practice that? Do you have somebody that knows CPR close to you or? No, I, uh, I just looked up, you know, David Blaine, you know, he's got like the mm -hmm. world like holding his breath is like 17 minutes or something. I was like, well, if this guy did it. And so he had this video where he kind of explained there's this technique called purging when you're okay. turning the breath. Um, and anyone could do it. Basically, you get the full capacity of your lungs and then you breathe out you know, as hard as you can. You basically repeat that until your eyes go a bit fuzzy. You know? And the idea behind it is when you're holding your breath underwater, the reason why your chest starts to hurt is because when you inhale air, you're inhaling carbon dioxide as well as oxygen. So. Mm -hmm. If your lungs have a lot of carbon dioxide in them, they'll, you know, your lungs don't like carbon dioxide. So that's what makes them hurt. But if you purge the air, it basically rids your lungs of any residual carbon dioxide in them. So you could do it now, man, in the bath, and you'd probably hold your breath for a minute easy. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, disclaimer, don't try it at home. Right, try right. <laughs> Unless you have a lifeguard present. <laughs> Well, uh, so that was kind of it. And then it was just the case of like over the course of like three weeks, just training a bit more and more to get the time up. But And were you just doing that like on land in the beginning? Like, okay, I'm going to try it. And then like, are you watching the clock? Like I can imagine watching the clock might be not a great idea if you're trying to hold your breath for a long period of time because you might get to like a minute and be like, okay, like I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. Like I have two more to go. Yeah. No, I was just doing it in the sink with the song playing in the background. Oh, my God. Get to it. Yeah. That's fascinating. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so that was so, the thing that I kind of brought out. And then um, 
been a long time since that one's coming. That's about five years ago or six years ago now. But really. still, I mean, to do that all like, I mean, nowadays somebody would just be able to somewhat make it, you know, do it in, in, in post-production, I would imagine, not hold your breath for three minutes, like actually do that, like go for it. Like, that's just so fascinating to me. Yeah, well, I was really into kind of performance art in college and um, like Chris Burden, for example, he's an, an American artist. I was really into his stuff and a lot of their kind of ethos is, you know, using your body as like as the art piece and endurance art where it's kind of you've got like an endurance piece where there's something, you know, it's either it's time sensitive or it's like sometimes it can be pain sensitive and um it was just something that kind of really captured me or whatever. So I guess that was kind of the mentality going into it, just all or nothing. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and you really went for it. I mean, not only that, but you built this tank that you, that you did this video in. Yeah. I think it's in a shed somewhere in my <laughs> mom's house. That's crazy. <laughs> okay. So, so from there you, got some success as far as like it went viral a little bit, the video. Yeah, it did. Uh, I think a lot of people were probably more interested in the video than the actual music. So that was also, you know, it's kind of like a double edged sword because it's good to get uh, people's attention for stuff like that, but um, you want them to be there for the right reasons. So I don't know. I kind of just went back and kept writing and kept recording and then order released um, a project in 2018 called daily daydreams and mm -hmm. um yeah that just seemed to take off fairly well and allowed me to kind of tour around the place a lot and travel all over the world i've been south by southwest wow 19 which was sick it was quite my first time properly being in america like as an adult and yeah it was a cool experience man and you get to perform as that's that's really cool so come over here to the states your first time as an adult and you're in your playing, that must've been huge. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and it was hot too. Jesus. <laughs> Texas uh, is mad. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I guess real hot in Texas. <laughs> and also just the, the layout of the city, how the, how the city is actually mapped out. It's it was so foreign to me. This they only had like footpaths on one side of the road and stuff. I thought that was so weird. There's a there's a book. Um, one of my lecturers that put me on to. I'll probably butcher the name, but I think it's the Life and Death of the American City. Okay, I haven't heard and it. it was I haven't read it. Yeah, do you know um John Ford invented the super suit uh, invented the shopping mall? No, I didn't know that really. Yeah, and the idea behind it was uh, obviously it, it was an incentive to sell cars. So you would make a shopping mall that was just on the outskirts of the city that had everything that you could ever want as a person. And the only way that you could get there is if you had a car. Oh, the that's idea fascinating. Oh, my God. So the, the guy's brilliant, obviously. So he creates the supermarket just far enough so you can walk and especially walk back with all your groceries. <laughs> so you're going to have to take one of his cars. Yeah. And it was also talking about kind of just like, yeah, the how um, I suppose American cities were, were built to kind of facilitate certain things. So I thought that was a really interesting thing when I was in Austin because we were in a little suburb in like an Airbnb or something. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I remember we used to just walk, like we go, like there was a place Dan's Burgers used to go to, and it was just on the highway, or we'd cycle into the convention center, which is where a lot of this stuff was on in Austin. And I remember just cycling around and we'd be the only people walking on the footpath. They're cycling about the place, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like that's probably a lot to do with the architecture of America because it's, it's a lot easier to drive and it's built mm-hmm. that even just the, something as little as having footpaths on one side of the road and not the other. But yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I'll have to look around my area about that now, like why you'd only have, yeah. And now that you say that a lot of areas, only have the sidewalk on one side and the other mm-hmm. side, there isn't one. <laughs> yeah. um, wow. Okay. Yeah. Cause America's built a little bit different. It, there's like San Francisco and you have like New York city, like there's a few cities that you could really get around, but even like a big city, like LA, you have to drive. Oh yeah. I mean, you're not, it's not like the UK or, or, or you know, like a, a lot of European countries where you can just take public transportation everywhere. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it is a lot different. Huh? Yeah, wow. Well, so, okay, so you put out uh, that first record, 2018, which is a concept album, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the it's about a week in the life of a deli worker. <laughs> what? How'd you come up with that idea? Um. Well, I was working in, like, a shoe shop at the time when I uh, just, like, work in retail, and it was um, one of my first, like, proper jobs that I was working And I really liked it, like, but, you know... At the same time, it was kind of just, I really wanted to be doing music full time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of where a lot of the songs came from, just working that retail job, feeling a bit hopeless about life and, you know, life as a musician and that being a prospect, just feeling like you're going to be stuck in one thing the whole time. And I think through writing the songs there, I'd mentioned the deli once or twice and I was kind of like, ah, oh, Maybe I could link those together. So Delhi's a big part of Irish culture. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's kind of where the loose concept came from. And then right. kind of linked it all together just with the interludes on the record. And that's that's kind of, yeah, that's where it came from. I mean, a lot of the different tracks are inspired by different things, but it's been a while since I listened to it. So mm-hmm. Sure. And then that's the record that got you to South by Southwest. Yeah, and it's still, you know, to this day, it's usually when someone comes up and says that they like the music, it's usually because of that record, you know, um, which I'm real happy about because I recorded the whole thing in my wardrobe and in wow, live. Um, even down to like the saxophone that I had laid over a lot of the beats. That's you know still all recorded in my bedroom. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that was totally like DIY, self-produced the whole record. Yeah, uh, it was the production was between myself and a, an artist from Cork called Jar Jar Junior. So he has about half the beats on the record, and I do the other half. And then the whole thing I recorded and engineered. I even mixed it as well, actually. You know, I think about it. Really? Um, in my bedroom, which is it hasn't changed much. That's how I did my most recent album as well. Um, all in the bedroom. Really, the newest one or the one in the one bef- the one that uh, came out in twenty nineteen, Green Diesel. That was in the bedroom too. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, tell me about that album. So you you get Delhi Delhi Daydreams pulls up for you. You're you know coming to the states. You said you were doing some touring as well. Yeah, I had um, we did some tours in the UK. Played a lot of festivals around Europe. 
we did a tour with Slow Tie just in like December up there. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been touring a lot. And um, yeah, I think from like playing the festival circuit and stuff, <clears throat> some of my buddies like King Cavanaugh, who I set up the record label with, uh, he's a really good producer himself and he makes a lot of trap stuff. So he'd been making some trap tunes and um, me and Luca Pam, who was a, another artist on the label that uh, run back in Dublin, he's, um, he'd been like writing over them and the two of us were going back and forth. And so we kind of had a couple of these like harder, trappier songs and we were playing them with the live shows and it was crazy because the stages were getting bigger and especially with like festival circuit, you get those big speakers and everything. Mm -hmm just playing the harder stuff. I was like, shit, this is fucking cool, you know? Sure. And so we went about making Green Diesel, which was only meant to take, you know, I was going to do it in the interim and kind of like give that out to the fans so that I had a bit of time to kind of make the album. But it kind of took a little longer than I thought it was going to take. And I don't know, I guess I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And so, okay. I was going to ask why that was, but now that makes sense. Yeah, it's just, you know, I wanted to get it right. And when you're collaborating with someone, you know, it's like um, you got to get all your schedules lined up and everything. And I mean, mm -hmm. so it just takes longer than you always think it will. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and so that kind of, when was that out? 2019, I think September, mm -hmm. September 2019. That so, was, fun. I really liked that because it was, uh, I found it quite freeing. But a collaborative project, I'm not kind of as worried about. I don't know. It was freeing in that sense because so much of the track already, you know, is taken up by Luca and stuff. And mm -hmm. just going into something that was a bit harder, like the beats were a lot harder than on Delhi Daydreams. And yeah, it, it was a, a real nice like project to work on. Mm -hmm. And well, that you said that came out in September 2019. Uh, and, you know, not not many months later, the whole world shuts down. Tell me about that. Like, were you planning like big things for, for green diesel that were kind of stopped? Like, where were you when the pandemic hit? Um, I was in London shooting a music video. So okay. I had been working on tracks for the album and I was kind of gearing up to the new, the new album. Yeah. The new album. Oh, wow. So you put out green diesel in September and you were already on to the next. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I had tracks from the album that I had put aside from the last like four or five years, like tracks that I kind of, I had a concept in mind and stuff. And there was certain tracks that um, fit into that narrative. And so I kind of put them to one side. And so I was working on them and we were doing um, a music video in London for Schmelly, which would have been like the first single to come off. Um, the new album and it was like March 2020 or 2019 mm -hmm. yeah, I think it was, yeah 2019 right has it been that long <laughs> what year well, March 2020 would have been yeah that's right before the pandemic that would be when the pandemic like really smashed was like March I know here in the states I think it was March 11th or March 13th when the whole when they shut down everything yeah so it must have been March 2020 yeah, it was 2020, yeah. And we were doing a music video. Um, and we, there was just like kind of like, you know, whispers of this coronavirus stuff. And mm -hmm. the other thing was the UK, 
were they came at coronavirus with a very different attitude than Ireland is. Really? And yeah, because it was March 2020. And I remember my mom texting me and being like, yo, are you OK? Like, you know, it's this virus is serious and stuff. And I was like, yeah, everything seems to be fine. Like, just to put it in perspective, the day before I went home to Ireland, I went out to a karaoke bar. This is like midway through March. You know, everyone's sharing one mic and everything. Oh, man. And stuff. And I went back the next day and my family treated me like I had radiation poisoning or something. They were <laughs> like leprosy or something like you need to leave. Go into your room and do not come out until you know you're well. And I was like, what is going on? I did like fully didn't realize how serious it was. And uh, then the next day, the whole country went into lockdown. See, the UK didn't go into lockdown for another two or three months, I think. Um, wow. Yeah, because yeah. well, the states got went went into lockdown pretty quickly too. I feel like. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I know the cases were really bad in in Italy. That's where it was really kind of hitting yeah. hard. Um, I, I wasn't. I didn't know about uh, Ireland shutting down that quickly. Ireland shut down very quickly, and we um, we did a really good job up until Christmas, and then we fucked it. Oh, we really? Royally fucked it. It was just. <laughs> Were people just getting antsy and they were like, you know, I'm going to go out anyway. Is that kind of what happened or? It was just kind of like we got it to a point where we were nearly like zero new cases. Um, and certainly we had no deaths in a couple of weeks and stuff. And mm-hmm. it was coming up to Christmas and the government just started to kind of ease restrictions and you could drink in pubs. And of course, it's Christmas time. So many people from London and the UK and stuff flew back home to see family at Christmas. Sure. And uh, unfortunately like a uk variant which was something like 40 percent more contagious than the previous one and so our cases went from something like you know like close to zero a day to like six or twelve thousand i think in ireland's not big you know uh-huh. and yeah it was like an insane insane increase we went from like one of the best countries for coronavirus cases in europe to the worst oh and- my gosh i didn't realize that yeah, so they they like Ireland only opened up the pubs again there on Monday. So it's been in level five lockdown until from Christmas until last week, which is June. Really? Yeah. Um, I mean, in California, they're still kind of. I mean, I don't think they're even really opening everything until next week. I think I'm in Nashville now. I I'm born and raised in California, in Southern California, San Diego, and when we were you know there it was like hardcore lockdown for the whole time up until like i said i think the 15th they're opening stuff up a bit more but like here in in tennessee it's a a lot more lax where we opened up last in may may 15th Hmm. so bars are open and, and everything's open now but i didn't realize that you guys just opened up then on monday what was that like were people like going wild (laughs) It was uh, there. There, it's still not full. You know, you can go to a pub uh, if it has an outdoor smoking area that you can sit in. So you still can't. Oh, so you're still outdoors. Okay, so in California, it was open outdoors for a little bit, but I think they're opening up indoors on the 15th. So you guys are still not indoors yet. No, no, and it's mad. You know, when you see like countries like new zealand where they're having festivals and stuff and you're just like oh i know 
Right. Okay. So I interviewed somebody from Perth, Australia, and this was like about three, four months ago. And they had like nearly no cases because they're way down here on the South end of the country and everything else is kind of happening, you know, North East. Um, so I was talking to this guy and he was telling me they had been on lockdown for like a week or two. And he was like, antsy. he's like, after this interview, I'm going to the pub and I'm going to get nine pints. Like he was like really amped for it. And I'm like, dude, you've been locked down for like two weeks. <laughs> like, give me a break. We've everyone else in the world has been stuck inside for like a year and a half. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I guess that to go back to your original question, I was coming back from London that we just we just shot a music video. Was that the video where you're in the green, like it's and you're in this huge green room? There's a sax player. It's you and a sax right. player. Yeah, so that's um I I went over in so we shot the music video in March and I don't think it came out until September. So March, April, May, June, July, August, September. Yeah, it's about four or five months. Basically, we wanted to release it with, um, that's from Colors Berlin is what you're referring to. Uh-huh. And it's this channel where you go and you do like a one take kind of live performance of a certain song. And we had it penciled in. It was meant to come with the release, but of course everything got locked down. So oh. I wasn't able to travel to Berlin until June or July. Okay, so that was a different so video that went you that... Yeah, so that was like the live performance video. And then we did a music video for it as well that was released like the week after. Um, and yeah, in that space of time, basically the minute coronavirus hit, I was just like, well, I've got an album to record, so I'm just going to do it. And luckily for me, I've been recording my music in my bedroom since I was 18, 19. Mm-hmm. So I was more than happy to just sit around and record the vocals that I needed for the thing and do the production. And so basically just worked on the album throughout the whole pandemic. Oh, wow. So did you have, were the songs all kind of came together during the pandemic? I mean, obviously you recorded them, but were you writing throughout as well? Like all the songs in the new record, were they written prior or kind of half and half or... Um, the majority is prior. I don't think there's any that I that are on the album that I wrote during the pandemic. So I found it very difficult to um, to write anything. I've uh, just because of how mundane everything was and how repetitive the days were day to day and just not seeing people. I found it like an incredibly uninspiring time. But luckily enough, I had a lot of material that I'd already written. And I was mm-hmm. just waiting for some time to actually sit down and have a bit of free time to record it so luckily enough for me i was able to just record the whole album and produce the whole album in lockdown so wow wow and it was all done by yourself um there's a couple different producers on the record uh a guy from belfast brienne he's uh, an amazing artist an amazing producer so he's got a lot of production credit on the on the album he helped me kind of put together a lot of it and apart from that there's the count is on a new machine it's done some production matt finnegan um quez darko and then i'm on the production on the rest of it pretty much wow and how are you able to collaborate with these artists was it all over like zoom calls like this or well it's um 
they just I, they had beats oh okay <laughs> they just sent me beats and i was just like yeah i like this you know where they sent me a batch of beats and i just add some extra instrumentation over the top or record my vocal or record sax and that's kind of how it worked pretty much that's amazing and then the record's coming out in two weeks you must be super stoked about that yeah i really am yeah and uh i can't wait man it feels like five six years in the making you know <laughs> so many songs are so old and like even with the album i i would consider this to be my like debut album i've obviously put out records before but anything that i've kind of done previously um i would kind of consider them either to be kind of mixtapes or projects so they're just um in terms of like they're just like quite not quite long enough and not quite fleshed out enough in my mind for it to be an album i'm a big album guy like big album lover you know if there's uh-huh. like if someone puts an album out i'm like very much i'm not like a singles dude i will will listen to it like front to back in the track listing order and that sort of thing i love so that i've just been obsessed with like the way albums are put together and like um you know the artist's intention and stuff since i was probably about 15 or 16 like mm-hmm. so yeah so yeah. i would consider this like a debut album and i'm very proud of it like i'm real happy with how it's come out so i love that i I feel the same way about records like there's something special about putting an album on listening to it from front to back because there's obviously a reason the artist chose this first song to be the first song the last song and and there's gotta you know there's a reason why each song is placed where they were it wasn't like oh that was the first song i wrote so that's gonna be one and then this is two and i mean you obviously have to sit there and kind of curate the order of the songs is that yeah yeah is that something that you were able to do like how does that work for you like i mean you said this is your debut record was it like okay i have all these songs now i got to figure out how the order is going to go or did you as you're kind of putting it all together you knew like okay this is how the record's going to kick off this is going to be the fifth song this could be the eighth song it was kind of difficult um there were some songs that just made sense to be later in the album depending on how they kind of service the narrative you know what i mean like there's some mm-hmm. songs that come be towards the start of the record because they set up the story and then some songs that are kind of like finishers like curtains the last song was always intended to be the last song on the record mm-hmm. um but the ones in between it's a difficult process because it was probably like the the album is like 16 tracks long, I think. Wow. Uh, yeah, so that's maybe. definitely a lot longer than your your prior albums. That makes sense that this is going to be your debut. Yeah, it's like 55 minutes in runtime, I think. Okay. And uh, it was cut down from a lot. I mean, I think there, I had, at one stage it was like 22 tracks or something. Wow. And so it was a kind of pretty difficult process. It, it kind of came down to the mixing of the record when we were... I mixed the album in London with um, a guy, Danny T is his name. He's, he mixed Green Diesel and stuff. He's a um, really, really good mixer and producer. Mm-hmm. And just from like going through the tracks with him while we were doing the mixing process and stuff, it was kind of like you would decide which ones were good enough and which ones you could cut out, which was sad because, you know, it's not that they were bad songs or anything, but it's kind of like you want to keep to a certain standard and you want to try and tell the story as concisely as possible. So, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was a mad process. I've never worked on anything this long before. Like an hour, close to an hour is like a, a long runtime. So uh-huh. it 
frustrating because when you would change the track listing, you know, if you put track two to track eight, I just have to listen to it for an hour to see if that works or not. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you got a dog in there. Sorry, my son just came flying through this door. I don't know. <laughs> and then okay. he brought the dog in with him. So I, I apologize for that. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. What kind of dog do you have? He's a Schnauzer Terrier mix. He's actually a coronavirus dog. If the, he didn't have coronavirus, but we got him in the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> ah, jealous. That sounds like a nice mix. Yeah. Well, it was funny. Um, it was, I mean, but so I've, I've adopted dogs in the past and it was like this whole process where they have to bring them to your house and they have to make sure that you're not like some scumbag that's going to like, you know, put the dog in some dog fight. I don't know. There's like this whole process of how you have to, how you have to uh, adopt a dog this time around. It was like, because of the virus, they, the lady we adopted him was like, she brought him out of the car. She's like, here. Yeah, no, here he is. And we kind of my sons played with him for a second. And then she's like, we're like, OK, like we we want him. She's like, really? We're like, yeah. So we just cut her a check and then she bailed. Like there's no like courting process or anything. It was like, you want him? Yeah. OK, here you go. See you later. <laughs> oh, man. Jealous. I love a dog. Yeah. Best with dogs. Yeah, he he definitely brought a, a lot of you know positive energy to that to the house over the course of this whole unfortunate time. But yeah, so sorry about that. That was a, quite the uh, <laughs> my son barging in here. But um, back to you in the record. You talk about it's telling a story. Is it a con? Is is it another concept album or no? Yeah, it definitely has a narrative. Anyway, there's a definite time and place, and you know it's all kind of set in Dublin around New Year's Eve. And uh, yeah, a bit of a kind of like love triangle, I guess. So um, yeah, the the album definitely has kind of like a narrative. Um, so yeah, you know, if you change one track in the track listing, you just got to listen to it for an hour to to figure out if that works and if that flows properly. Like, does the energy keep up the whole way through? Mm-hmm. That's the other thing. Like, once it's out, it's out. And uh, yeah, there's no change in the tracks now, huh? Yeah. Yeah, because you can like mess it around and like you jumble all the track lists and it's like, okay, is this the album? It's like, hmm, no. And you switch it around again. It says, is this the album? Yeah, it's a funny process. Yeah, I can imagine like there in the, in the middle of the record, it gets a little dicey, like trying to figure out like, is this song six or is it going to be song seven? Like really kind of, do you have to listen to it through a bunch of times to figure out really how they're all going to lay down? Yeah, which is like you really got to have some good patience because to change one song is an hour of your life gone. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now you got to go re-listen to the whole record again. Yeah, but it's a nice process though. Even just trying to figure out where you're gonna make the cuts on the actual vinyl, like what's gonna be side A, what's gonna be side B. Find find that whole thing kind of real interesting, kind of just the artistry of that. So mm-hmm. yeah. that's amazing. And it's gonna be on a vinyl. I love that. Yeah, double LP, so it's actually two vinyls. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Did you put the other records out on vinyl, or just the, is this going to be your first vinyl pressing? Uh, no, we've put everything I've uh, put, everything that's on Spotify anyway is all um, on vinyl. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, we've got a, I've got a real sick fan base there. Um, yeah, they they just love the vinyl stuff, I guess, and they, they buy it up and which I'm real appreciative. So uh, appreciative of, appreciative, appreciative of. 
<laughs> I appreciate it. You appreciate it. Um, yeah, no, well, yeah, because there's something to be said about having the the physical record. I mean, even if you're only going to listen to it on Spotify, just having the physical. That's the thing that is lost now with buying like singles off you know, iTunes, which I don't even think is a thing anymore, but um, or streaming the songs. It's like you don't have anything that you can really hold and connect to. I mean, who's to say I'm always worried that like one day the Spotify is just going to crash out and then like all the songs are going to be gone. And then it's like, well, how am I going to listen to music now? Oh, at least I have like, you know, crates upon crates upon crates of records I can put on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's even like there's a couple of YouTube uh, channels that I subscribe to and they're usually like vinyl collectors who upload their old vinyls you know, as MP3s and they're great for sampling and stuff. Oh, that's amazing. I've had it happen a good few times where their channels just get deleted, you know, because of copyright strikes. And oh, wow. Songs that are super rare songs. You can't really find them anywhere. And then they're just gone. You're like, whoa, this shit is <laughs> ephemeral, you know? Yeah. Because uh, that's the thing about like vinyl collection. If it's rare stuff and it's not going to be available anywhere, when you have it, you have it, you know, and you can hold it in your hands. It's like the music is on this. Yeah. In a whole lot of other places. No one's going to take it away from me. <laughs> yeah. So that's, I love the kind of vinyl, even the design. We had an Irish artist, um, Oscar Tarns. He designed all the visuals for the record and he just did a smashing job and the, the vinyl is, looks unbelievable. And like I love it. The lighter in it and stuff is so sick. So I can't wait to see it. Um, and I'm definitely gonna have to pick up the vinyl copy. Uh, and get the deluxe one, if you get anything, I would recommend that. I'll get the deluxe one. I yeah, I won't go. If, uh, I'm not gonna go cheap on you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> one man, it's got the gatefold image with like the big, it's like me grabbing a pint that looks like fucking the creation of man. It looks sick. Oh, that's so sick. I cannot wait to see it. And again, I'm going to, I'm, I'm buying the, that deluxe version. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kojak, dude, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Sorry about my child coming, bursting through this door. I don't apologize, my friends. <laughs> for my rants, so. Oh, dude, that's what this is all about. It's all about you. Um, well, I can't wait to, to hear the record. It's coming out in two weeks. Town's dead. Um, and I have one more question before I let you go. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Just do it yourself, man. And believe in yourself. Like there's, there's, um, you can go a long way with a bit of belief in some hard work, man. So 